in 714 of Isaiah, went through it last week, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. As Christy just said, God with us. That's where we're going to pick it up today. In Luke, visit with me. First chapter, let's take a peek at verse 26, and I'll pray. Lord, we thank you that you would give us the privilege of being able to look into your endearing word and your enduring word. Thank you that even as of last week, we talked about your story, preceding and proceeding. Here we are, Lord. We ask that in this lineage of faith, we are able to proceed in truth. Lord, to see your light, to know with certainty we have been saved. We are not here on pretense. We are here honestly, Lord. We are here in faith. We are here believing that you're perfecting each and every one of us, that your forgiveness is linked, Lord, with your infinite mercies. And we bless you for that. Hearing our hearts and asking that you touch our minds and thanking you for healing our bodies. We've all been healed at given times from given afflictions. We lift up those who in that cycle are being made well. We pray for them. I ask that you bless them, Lord, and revive them. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. If I were asked to give a poetic summary of what we may hear Mary do when in exaltation she poetically rendered what her heart was full of, I kind of consolidated that. I thought about it. The title of today's teaching is Mary, Mary, Quite Contrary. Contrary, or contrary, is an interesting word. And it sounds very similar to this biblically. That faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. But this word is a little bit different in its emphasis. A willingness to believe in the absence of sufficient evidence. Just a little different. Isn't that cool, though, that when you hear that word, it can imply just somebody that's being hard-nosed, argumentative. But I look at it classically. I look at it affirmatively, positively. And so one of the things that we want to see in this little tag, this title, is the heart. Let me see if this kind of matches what we will hear her say and see if maybe it has for you something that you as well could say to the Lord. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how did your garden grow? Her answer, with prayer as seed. In faith, I believed. I surrendered all, and now you see. My son is God. My son is man. Upon this rock, the church shall stand. I was the virgin, indeed a maiden. My love for God 
not heavy laden. I was never more. I was nothing less. Saved by grace, like you were blessed. That's the positive word for a young maiden who would be recognized as the mother of Jesus. She, like any young woman in her day, would have been looking forward to the time that she would be married, taken over by someone who would tend her as she tended her family. Marriage was a deep priority in the faith of the Jewish people and to raise their family as unto the Lord. Before that transacted, though, it would have been a dream, a vision. And she was able to, in this narration, say what I believe this conveys. Just waiting for the day that she would hear the voice of God and perhaps be the one in whom the prophet Isaiah wrote about in Isaiah 7, 14. Let's take a look at where this starts. Beginning at verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. We know that she was nameless back in Isaiah, but now we discover, like all of us have discovered, God knew whom he would name, even as he has named you before you were even conceived in the womb. Jeremiah gives us that perspective as one who was called to be a prophet of God and told by God, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah, and I have called you, I have ordained you to be a prophet to the nation. Cool. Here's the maiden Mary, and the reason that this stands out very significantly is that she, in fact, will voice what would be contrary to common sense, to even a plausible argument. This was her disposition. The position of Mary as a maiden, I think might rightfully be said, was on her knees. Raised in a home of Jewish integrity, of high spirituality, uniquely different in the requirements of a young man, but raised necessarily as unto the Lord, as one who would marry a young Jewish man, steeped in the law and of spiritual activity. And on this occasion, telling us the time, the sixth month, which is important on another detail, and having come in, verse 28, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. It's interesting because the maiden term delineates between woman, 
which is not simply generic, but it would be indicative of a young woman who has become, or a young maiden who has become a wife. And so before she would have even been able to say that she in fact was a wife, betrothal was different in those days. There was a commitment, lawful, that two people would be married, but she hasn't yet committed that time. The Lord's doing all of this preemptively right now to ensure that the word that was spoken back in Isaiah would come to pass without argument, flawlessly. And so as this salutation comes, she is pronounced as blessed among women, but when she saw him, she was troubled at saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Remember, this is Gabriel. This is the messenger angel. And he's the one whom we see that's usually designated in any dispatch from heaven to give the sure word of God, to assure God's people, to allow them to know what they are, to hear from God and to voice as well concerning the Lord. Do not be afraid, he says, Mary, for you have found favor with God. In verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, of which we understand this is the version, the common name of those days, which was Joshua, Yeshua, Deliverer, and the signature statement all the way back in Isaiah, God with man, God among men. He will be great, verse 32. He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He is the one by whom David had set his hope against hope, even as Abraham had set his hope against hope, believing in that what God has promised, he, God, would be able to fulfill. All of these people, the few that I've mentioned, lived in faith. They lived contrary to the evidence that seemingly could have been argued. Hence, you will also be required to live in the sufficiency of evidence by a willing heart to believe what God has said. And God rewards those who in faith are able to say, Lord, I'm not going to argue. I'm going to rest and remain assured in what it is you're doing in my life and what it is you've said about my life. David would not have been able to hear this exclamation mark, but he believed in it, meaning he had passed. Mary would be able to hear it. And it would have brought probably an incredible joy deep within her, though incomprehensible at this moment. Are you finding that the things of God can be incomprehensible? And yet undeniable, there's a great joy in discovery of what is he doing? Oh, the Lord is faithful. Have you ever been left by just only able to say, the Lord 
is faithful. When I had encountered some disciples in a house, there was a part of a church, there was one who among them stood out. I was prolifically writing songs, but the word that he continued to say, one among probably eight young men, was this, he's faithful. What? The Lord, he's faithful. And that was his message to my heart. The Lord is faithful, never forgot it. If there was anything that I could say in a time of misunderstanding or crises, the Lord is faithful. He's faithful. He's not going to let me go. And as I go, he is faithful. Mary right now is in this particular time full of faith. And she has such a faith that it's contrary to what the norm would be of those who desire to be godly, but those who don't necessarily become anything in their faith, waiting to have greater evidence to bolster their faith. Notice this as it continues. Mary in verse 34 says to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? She's assessing, how can this be? Because I have not yet known a man. She's emphasizing what Isaiah would have said. She's a virgin. I haven't known a man. Continues. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36, a highlight for her, an encouragement of her who had an older cousin named Elizabeth. He says to her heart, your relative has also conceived a son in her old age. In those days with larger families and separations with truly age gaps, this is probably a time in which in her life cycle, she is barren, doesn't have an opportunity, had been waiting a long, long time in her hometown. Probably we will assume in the hills of Judah, right around the Jerusalem area, waiting as her husband year after year had conducted ministry within the temple area. And yet for her, what would have been an impossibility was made possible in the same way that what for Mary was an impossibility was made possible. She's in her sixth month for who was called barren for with God, verse 37, nothing will be impossible. Maybe for you today, that word that Gabriel spoke then to Mary is the same word that he would speak to you. I love that. With God, nothing will be impossible. The willingness to believe, the willingness to believe, 
apart from the evidence that seems to be not yet paired up with the way you see things. We've seen that happen, I believe, in just some of our life stories that some of us are familiar with. Notice her answer. Notice what your answer also ought to be. Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let it be according to your word. Not according to necessarily the facts or how I feel, the disposition. Let it be according to your word. Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. It does not say that she was commanded to go there. It simply says that she arose to do so. She would be in what we can presume the first trimester, Mary. Elizabeth would be in what we would say her latter trimester, the third, at six months, soon to deliver. And Mary makes haste. What for? I think as an encourager. I think as one who hearing the promise of God and now the destiny that she has with God to go and touch someone who has had her life changed and to also reconcile between both of them this marvelous, miraculous work that had been done by God because with God nothing is impossible. A virgin to conceive a child by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. An older woman, probably in advance, beyond 50, going to conceive a son. And these two will be ministry tag partners. In case you didn't know, Elizabeth will bear John the Baptist. Jesus's cousin, and he will be prolific in the word and demonstrative in the power of God in calling the nation of Israel to, repent, to repentance. Jesus will come right on his footsteps. And where John calls the nation to repent, Jesus calls the nation to believe God is with you. Emmanuel, I am the Son of God. As Mary arose in those days to visit this hill country, look what her faith would have been subject to. It wasn't just going next door to borrow a cup of sugar or to give a pie. It would have been probably a little bit over 92 miles to make that trip from Nazareth to Jerusalem, thereabouts in the countryside, maybe even a little bit more. That's no small pilgrimage. Doesn't say that she has an entourage. That's quite a bit of faith. Those roadsides would have been dangerous. They would have been precarious. 
they would have been tiring. I mean, I'm trying to think of myself walking 91 miles and it's like, whew, wow. Faith, though, hers, propels her sacrificially to make a visitation on one who for all of these years had sacrificed praise and worship, waiting on God, waiting for the Lord, having to be grieved within and yet to continue to express the goodness of God without. In her community at her age, Elizabeth would consider herself cursed by her community. She would have heard the language. You haven't been doing something right for God. Barrenness was subject to such vicious speculation. And so Elizabeth had been an enduring woman of faith. And together these two would be endearing women of faith. Brought together by this miraculous word of God. Gabriel visits Mary, but before that, Gabriel visited Mary, uh, Martha's husband, or Elizabeth's husband. And he was the one, unfortunately, that didn't believe at the word of Gabriel, and he was speechless thereafter. The best thing to do is to believe God in the confirmation of your words. Speak it. As opposed to speechless because you didn't believe it and you now must wait a bit longer to receive it. That's essentially what would happen to Zechariah. But note, even as I shared this young man whose classic phrase to me was, God is faithful. God is faithful. At what will be this meeting, God indeed is faithful. It's a great account of two individuals, two families that are being knitted together in the spirit. Notice what this says at the greeting. It happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She was filled with faith, but now she's filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Mary's carrying the Son of God. You want to talk about the viability of life within the womb? Here you have it. You have it at what would be the onset of conception, and you have it in what we would call the waning time period of deliverance. It's coming. And the acknowledgement within the womb is inarguable. That's why it's voiced here. Viability, yeah, a conception. You need to hear a story, this is it. A baby being greeted by Jesus within the womb and the woman filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she spoke out with a loud voice in verse 42 and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? 
As far as we know, they didn't have telegrams or telephones. They just had tell a woman. And their conversation isn't about the next recipe or about how they could get their husbands to get that horse fed or the lawn mowed. It's spiritual language that's being uttered right now. And somehow, by reason of this incredible expression of faith, Elizabeth is able to say, in confirmation, in receiving the Holy Spirit, how is it that you should come and visit me with my Lord? What a great statement of faith. The mother of my Lord should come to me. And that's the cool hope that really all of us have is that the Lord does come to visit each one of us. And he comes to visit in partnership with each one of us filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the variety that we see in the uniqueness that you are means that you are being used as a voice piece no less powerful than Gabriel in delivering the salutations of grace to the hearer. Oh, some of you may have been knocked in the head by a strict word, what it is you're not doing right, how much you haven't done for God. But the thing that we see here is that God has done everything for these two. They've only now committed themselves to the pilgrimage of unity. So important in these days. Committed to the pilgrimage of unity. It's why we're here today. We all had other things that we could have done, but we've done the right thing, committing ourselves on pilgrimage to the unity of one another in the bond of love by the Spirit of God. It makes a difference whether or not you've ever seen that in your Sunday or not. I would say, then think about it, because there is something different that happens. You leave here, your faith increases. You leave here, your burden is lightened. You leave here, condemnation stays. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit goes, not only deeper in you, but also in the charge of understanding God more deeply. The voice of your greeting sounded in my ears. The babe leaped in my womb for joy. That's one of the key things about our faith. And there are emphases in certain doctrines in which after you hear it, you go, oh, that was great, wasn't it? Sheesh. The law. What it was I didn't do. I almost made it to number 10 and then Bam, somebody reminded me I missed on one. The gospel of grace is actually a gospel of joy. These women are not boasting in their perfection. They're boasting in the favor of God upon them, apart from what they didn't do or what they did do. 
Elizabeth may have indeed had times which overwhelmed by the pointing of fingers and the shakings of heads. And her husband being in the priesthood couldn't handle another day of it. It doesn't say that. What it indicates is that no matter what they were going through, anticipating the faithfulness of God, they were rewarded in that time when the time was perfect and it was joy. It was joy. Everything about our faith isn't necessarily going to be joyous, but the Spirit gives joy when the predicament renders to us a hardship. It's triumphant joy. It's blessed joy. It's why people can't fully understand how we negotiate very difficult times when they fail in those difficulties. They see us victorious in it. How do you explain? Very likely a 16, 15-year-old girl pilgrimaging 91 plus miles to visit her aged cousin who now is singing like a maiden, joy filling her. Pretty incredible, pretty inspiring. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth serves as a scholar, as a counselor, as an encourager. Because Mary, no doubt, would be one who has to ponder in her faith, huh, this is going to be an interesting time for me. This is going to be a time in which my doubt won't arise, but the doubts of those near me will arise. This is going to be an interesting time. And so Elizabeth gives that encouraging word what we do have evidence of is that Mary's tenure there will be about three months. She is going to tend Elizabeth, do the things that will help her and listen to the counsel of her in the time in which, oh, it was so very long. At times, so challenging, so embarrassing so humiliating. They don't voice this, but two sisters now in the faith are going to become the best of friends to express their faith. Mary breaks out in a song even as Elizabeth is one who has been able to prophetically encourage. Mary will pen a longer version, the original version, of what I tried. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud 
In their imagination of their hearts, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. This was the utterance. It wasn't, well, now that we've got the introduction through, what do you have to eat? What do you need to have done? She just breaks out in this song. And I do believe that that's actually a real breakthrough in our times of the pilgrimage. We just break out in song. When I'm able to be privileged to sit with you, even knowing that I can break out in song leading, it's a wonderful experience for me. It's a breakout. It's a breakthrough. When I get to see the words transcribed on the screens, I'm gobbling them up. I'm listening to the articulation of them. Even the layout of how it has been put down at the keyboard to translate to us. There's something about worship and poetry that enthralls you. Again, I can labor in playing for you, and I do quite well. But when I get to sit among you and to listen to the breakout, it has a breakthrough. It's authentic. I leave here really touched by the Lord, knowing that anticipating in a few minutes, I must teach the word. I'm revived in being able to sing words of truth and of promise, listening to the giftings, observing just in a different capacity. I'm taking it all in. I'm taking all of you in as best I can. But the poetry that's confirmed right now in this pilgrimage that has been satisfied leaves this woman just at the disposal of her older cousin to tend her and take care of her. And that's one of the expressions that you find in the church. We tend and we take care of needs as we can. And in this, it was a three-year tending and taking care. It was a three-month tending and taking care of. It was satisfactory to the time that Elizabeth would be able to share with Mary what the pregnancy is like, how it's going, what she's learning. She would have been new to this. What a better woman to be in the presence of than one who would be able to explain. Huh. And Mary, this is what very likely you will go through. And this is what I've learned about God and his faithfulness. This is what I know to be true. It's going to be awesome for both of us. Move, if you would, to chapter 2. which takes us now to the point of deliverance for Mary. So before we were months away, now 
were right on game day. It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife. Again, the legality is important in that one. It means that on a civil level and a religious level, they were to be married. They were seen as married, but it was no consummation. This was not a honeymoon for them. This was living in obligation to the law committed to one another. And that's a discipline. But think about this. She visited Elizabeth, 91 miles. What does she have to do? She returns back to Nazareth, 91 miles. And then a decree goes out. Do you think she was thinking, what in the world <laughs> is going on here? I sometimes get tired just driving to Fred Meyer. I haven't even walked there. That's the shame on me. I could. More notably, when I picked up Christy and Everest and Zachary, I related to a woman that just the week before had done that on a drive. But I noticed this about that woman. In her drive back, she had a drive to be here for the midweek teaching. And she was inspiring to me. I hadn't yet made the drive. But she had, on the day that I taught, made the pilgrimage into the valley and back from the valley and driven to be here for the teaching. That was inspirational. I thought of her when I made my drive back. But I will admit, Christy took the wheel, <laughs> driving me back with the boys. And I just zonked out. And Christy finally pulled over, I think, to the California, um, is it the inspection house? Is that where you dropped me? Yeah. <laughs> the car just stopped. And Christy goes, okay, it's your time to drive. And I did drive. But she had driven after a full day at two airports driving us that far. I want to talk about a spiritual woman on pilgrimage to get her family back home. Pretty awesome. As Mary right now is on now her third pilgrimage, she now is heavy with child. Things can't move necessarily as fast as she was able to in the beginning of her pregnancy. In the same way, there can be a filling of the Lord in us, likened as if you would, a seed implanted that has a maturing to it. And in that maturing, even just prior to when the Lord is going to do something very special within us, there's a weight to it. 
It is an analogy, but it is true. Because sometimes we would say, well, isn't it always supposed to be easy? Well, it is easy in terms of God accomplishing it, but he does allow us to experience the weight of it. What is the weight experience challenging us to do? Give it back to him. Lord, this is heavy. That was a word used in the 70s. Heavy. Wow. It now has become my physical reality. Heavy. Fighting that scale. I consulted with two bagels that came into my house last night. And the bagel said, you'll feel better. And I woke up going, heavy. Oh, Lord, why? But you just need to understand that the requirements for her are not going to become less. They become greater. And her reliance upon God will necessitate a greater dependence upon him, not independence from him. And there's nothing going wrong if, in fact, you say, I'm heavy. If it's not sin and it's God's will, meaning you're on pilgrimage with him, there's time right now and a fullness of the filling that you've received, it's okay. You stay on your face. You stay in the presence of the Lord. You keep up even though it seems like things are slowing down. So the lineage has been described here, but notice, and I want to get to this part. In verse 6, So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. It's a great phrase. This literally means or translates, she's going to deliver a baby. She's going to be groaning. She's going to be rendering the fruit of her womb with groans and moans, labor pains. She's going to feel it. She's going to feel this commitment to God. It's a marvelous thing what women will do in love that God has given to them for their husbands and for that which is within them. It's a pretty amazing thing to have that kind of fortitude, that strength, that tenacity, that willingness to both let your body be changed and you be changed in the process of delivering that child. Pretty amazing. The phrase here, though, is very engaging. The days were completed for her to be delivered. It doesn't say the child to be delivered, for her to be delivered. She's delivering Jesus. That is what he would be noted as, the deliverer. Yeshua, he would be the one in which all promises are fulfilled in him. Yes and amen. And so the same is true for us, that because of Jesus, the time of our deliverance is real. You can trust in him. And verse 7 says, She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Closing on this, and in preparation for where we will go 
later. She does her industry as a mom, coddling him, nursing him, swaddling him, and then notice this, laying him in a manger. It's an important disclosure there. That would be the first act of separation from her baby, the Son of God. You would think quite contrary, and I know this is true about a mom. They want to hold their baby indefinitely. They don't want to give up the baby. They're in a connection of identification with that mouth that seeks to have nutrients delivered to it, warmth rendered. Moms know that that is one of the things that they do do, but that pass-off, that handoff, is very sacrificial. That baby and mom have been together nine months. This represents, for Mary in this case, the sacrifice of praise coming through intense labor, doing the industry, and literally the spiritual servitude to this young life, and then to set him in a manger. Probably very different than what the story usually renders at Christmas time, something that coddles hay in a wooden vat or like miniature silo. This probably was a stone slab, probably cut out right there on the rock. It wasn't a stick home. Very likely it was an enclosure that we would call a cave that served as a stable. I believe in that kind of imagery and where the cattle likely ate and slobbered over their food, their hay, their grain, Jesus is laid. And it for us would very likely look like an altar. And that is the picture that you are to see is that Mary who cleaves to her son allows her son to be given over to an altar which would speak of a sacrifice of God on behalf of the children of God and a woman who has been elected to literally watch her son grow up to be the offering of God to literally be sacrificed. And it's actually a very precious picture. It says she laid him in. Joseph, would you lay Jesus in that she had to do it? It was her commitment to the commitment that God had given to her and the faith that was expressed all of those years in the faithfulness of God in Isaiah 7, 14 to the 700 years that would pass in which a light brightly shone in darkness and Jesus would be presented to the world first in a manger on a slab as a sacrifice for the sins of the world that joy might be imparted to the world. Songs are going to break out. The heavens will be filled with sound. 
smelly shepherds are right next door. They're going to be able to be able to welcome on this Advent the Son of God. Pretty awesome. Mary, Mary, quite contrary, how did your garden grow with prayer as seed? In faith, I believed. I surrendered all, and now you see my son is God. My son is man upon this rock. The church will stand. I was the virgin, indeed a maiden. My love for God, not heavy laden. I was never more. I was nothing less, saved by grace, like you were blessed. You have been saved by grace through faith, not a result of works that any of you could boast. It was an act of God, freely given. You are his workmanship, created by God for good works that had been prepared beforehand by him that we should walk in them and a joy to walk in them. And it is why when we walk away from this place, you can take great joy in the pilgrimage that is before you. <laughs>